The following podcast contains adult content, discussion of sexual assault, incest, enslavement, and racist violence. It's in the book. That was good. That was good. That was good. That was the right amount of seriousness and also like, what the fuckness, I think. Listen, this book is really fucked up. I'm sorry. What the hell actually transpires in this freaking tent, you know? Yeah, I have a lot to say about it. Well, we'll get there. Hello, and welcome to It's in the Book, a queer Bible podcast. I'm Jade Sylvan, they, them, there. I'm David Waters, he, him, his. And I'm Sue Buzzard, she, her, hers. Uh, David and I are religious professionals, and dare I say it, scholars. And my wife, Sue, knows very little about the Bible, and we are going to tell a story, and Sue is going to be regaled. I can't wait. You me. <laughs> Previously in the Bible. The sons of God were boning the daughters of the Adams, oh God. and God was not happy. So God destroyed everything by undoing whatever infrastructure that God had put in place in Genesis 1 to keep the water and the sky water apart. So this is why we all need to pay attention to our community's infrastructure mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise shit gets really bad really fast. Infrastructure is often overlooked, but it is essential. It is essential. Really? Uh, <laughs> God liked Noah. Uh, he had favor for Noah or Noah found favor with God. Um, for reasons that were never explained to us. Well, he walked, he walked around with God. Oh, okay. He walked with God. That's okay. all we need to know, apparently. Oh, yeah, I guess so perambulate exactly that's a good that's a good translation of that word actually of of Hitchalel. yeah that comes to us courtesy of scent of a woman but anyway oh i thought you were gonna say like the robert alter <laughs> translation <laughs> another reason to love that film another reason i thought as you were gonna we, be like if we is, needed more i'm so sorry this no this is like uh, the new like <laughs> respected translation of <laughs> Right, or right. it's Robert De Niro. Um, it's fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> it's Al Pacino. It's okay. It is Al Pacino. I almost made that not mistake put that on the word. Put, I'm 100% putting that on there. That is outrageous. Like, I watch this wonderful. movie every Thanksgiving, and I cannot Aww. believe I got that wrong. But yeah, I do. It's, all, it's hard sorry. to keep them apart. Yeah, and they were both in that Godfather movie, too. You yeah. know, <laughs> that like... Godfather movie. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Godfather movie. You know, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I'm part Italian. I can talk like this about. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I'm Black Irish, actually. What? No, no I'm not. That's Irish. not. I didn't think that's what that meant. <laughs> Am I confused? That, that is for my dear friends, Eric and Angeline. Um, we will be delighted when they hear it. Um. Okay. Excellent. I lost my place. Okay, I'm back. Okay. God liked Noah for reasons. Uh, he gave Noah very detailed instructions to build an ark or a ship and mm-hmm. to take his family and a bunch of animals on there to save them because the earth was going to flood. Mm-hmm. And then uh, God undid his infrastructure and then the flood came. And everything that wasn't on the ark died, and it sucked. Mm. Bummer. Not good. But then... (laughs) It was really bad. And then, after 150 days, God remembered that he left the water on, and he remembered Noah. 
remembered Noah. And so here we are. I just, I'm sorry. It's just, I'm going to sigh every time I think of like, after 150 days, God remembered Noah, implying, of course, that he totally forgot about Noah. You weren't like watching him every step of the way. You know, God's got a lot going on. Okay, two things here. One is about this 150-day period, because, of course, the question is, was it 150 days or was it 40 days? So that's sort of apropos of our last conversation about the weaving together of the, you know, priestly and Yahwistic accounts. Um, And then, two, this business of memory is actually quite interesting. And so I think, like, that, like, so I, I appreciate your your take on this too. I don't know what, it's not apprehension, but it's like, you know, like how can God forget Noah, right? That such that God has to remember Noah. Right. He was doing something like really important. We, we think. Yeah, he was, he, yeah, he was. And I want to say there's something about God remembering Noah and then late. So, so I just want to hang on to that as we go through the story and let's think about, the role that memory plays in the story as we go. So all that's right. all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Another interesting thing to think about that I always think is one of the roots of the patriarchy is that uh, in Hebrew, at least in biblical Hebrew, uh, the word for male and the word for memory uh, or to remember is, is a, uh, a homonym. Oh, it's exact it's it's spelled exactly the same and pronounced exactly the same wow that is super interesting i think so that's cool anyway then yeah. that comes into play later and they do some things that i think are like illusions and and wordplay and i don't know it kind of goes into my whole theory of like this idea of maleness being also like you know tied up in this idea of like memory and legacy and blah or whatever, mm-hmm. and all the bullshit that that hath wrought. Oh, so, but so God not only remembers Noah, he remembers everything on the boat with Noah, mm-hmm. and he causes a wind to blow and the waters go down. Uh, and the fountains mm-hmm. of the deep of the Tehom uh, and the gates of the, the Shemayim uh, are stopped up, and the waters uh, go down until the tips of the mountains become visible again. And then there are <sighs> the birds. Mm, yes. The yes. birds. <laughs> uh, so, so Noah, uh, when, the, when the tips of the mountains become visible, the water goes down. Noah sends out a raven, and the raven flies around and comes back. And then Noah sends out uh, a dove, and it mm. flies around and comes back. And then he sends out another dove. <laughs> and Dove number two. And this yeah. dove comes back with an olive branch in its mouth. And Noah's Ooh. like, sweet, somewhere there's an olive tree growing. Things are getting better. Mm. Third time's a charm. And then he sends out the bird again, and it doesn't come back. So either the bird finds a place to live or it dies. We don't know. <laughs> Aww. It doesn't tell us. <laughs> usually people, usually yeah. people say like that it's, um, you know, I think usually people interpret that to mean that the bird like, found a place to live for itself yeah right had nice like for children right yeah exactly or it could be like floating somewhere on the no i don't want (laughs) i don't want to think of it doesn't tell us but um no no, bird to be like it had a happy life what a great tree well see you yeah that's what happened definitely it settled down and it had a big family and died on its hundred birthday i have been in the habit for a while now 
of thinking of the dove as the Holy Spirit. And so I have been reading that back into this Noah story as like, oh, the, you know, the dove with the olive branch, maybe that's like the old Holy Spirit showing up a little early, you know, not called the Holy (laughs) Spirit, but that idea is complicated by the fact that, you know, it's not the first dove that he sends out, nor the only dove, right? So I have to kind of think about think about that in light of what is actually in the mm-hmm. story. I generally try not to bring too much New Testament into this because I think that when this was written, that wasn't out yet. And <laughs> that wasn't out yet. And they hadn't come out with that yet. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I worry about interpreting it too much yeah. in like a christian sort of yeah. like and i and i know that that's your tradition and, and that's awesome and i also i have christian parts of myself as well i more brought it up to say that it complicated an idea that i had that i d- hadn't gone back to the text to really examine it so i kind of brought it up because part of the raison d'etre of the podcast right is to get us to inhabit these stories in a more detailed way because a lot of times we kind of pick up on elements of them and carry them around with us and we haven't really examined them deeply. And so I think what reading the story of Noah again in more detail did for me was cause me to re-examine this notion or this idea, right, or this kind of scene that I had with Noah on the ark and this dove with the olive branch, right? It was only in coming back to the story that I was like, wait a minute, what is this raven doing here, first of all? (laughs) Like, I don't remember a raven. (laughs) And I certainly did not remember that there were three doves, right? So, Well, there's two doves. Excuse me, two doves. For one thing, the the three birds is a, a feature that shows up in the Gilgamesh flood story too Mm. so that some like a lot of scholars think that that suggests that that's just like a tradition in these old flood flood stories Mm -hmm. like to Mm -hmm. have oh they send out three birds you know right right and and so this is the way they interpreted it here and you could also say that like this is like another instance of that three plus one beat because he sends Mm -hmm. out one bird two bird three birds and then he sends them out again and it doesn't come back you know Mm -hmm. I I think it absolutely works on multiple levels And I appreciate you bringing that there was a Gilgamesh story, right? More than that, there were these flood narratives, right? So, because I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the idea of a flood narrative did not start with this story, right? Hmm. That can be a complicated thing for people, right? Because the, you know, depending on what tradition you've been brought up in or how you've understood the Bible, there can be an idea that, oh, well, it all started here, you know, with this Hebrew Bible. And so if you understand that, well, actually, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, for people who are invested in the sacred nature of this text, it doesn't necessarily desacralize the text or take anything away from its sacred nature to understand that this text too comes to us, you know, mediated by and through traditions, you know, that were in existence. Having a fuller picture of how we come to have these stories is not a violence to these stories. It should help us appreciate them more. That That is what I hope. Um, you know, I, I think that out of respect for the text, you should want to understand it as fully as possible. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. Yeah. Stuff is drying. And no one knows this because the bird brought back this, uh, this, this, 
leaf or this branch. Mm. But Noah waits until God tells him to leave. So stuff is drying even more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he looks out and he sees stuff is drying and he sees it's like even more drier. <laughs> and <laughs> it gets drier and drier. It gets drier and drier. Drier and drier. But then God is like, come out. Uh, with your wife and your son and your son's wives and it's <laughs> and a meme happens yeah. again. and, uh, <laughs> and uh, they all go out and all the animals go out and they're on the land finally thank goodness and then noah builds an altar and then he offers burnt offerings to the lord so some of those clean animals or whatever that he put on the boat mm -hmm. he takes them and he kills them and he burns them up and sends them up to the lord uh, and God smells them, and it smells awesome, because God loves fat, as we've established, because <laughs> that's where the flavor is. Yeah, that is where the flavor is. Yeah, that's and right. so he smells that good, good burning fat. I, that good, good fat. <laughs> yeah, nice barbecue. Sweet, sweet fat. Yeah, mm -hmm. and he's like, okay, humans are totally evil, but I won't destroy the earth because of them anymore. Oh, so it's not like he thinks humans are better. They still might be rock, rock, hole, home, as mm. he said in the beginning <laughs> of this story. Right, right. But yeah, they're so cute. They, they make me <laughs> offerings and it's tasty and it <laughs> smells so really nice. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, how can you hate these guys? How can you hate yeah. them? So God decides that it is not going to destroy uh, the humans anymore thanks to this burnt offering, we guess. And then God does a little poem about the earth continuing on. And then it's like creation do over. Uh, so this mm. whole thing was kind of undoing creation and then bringing it back together. So in this creation do over, God blesses Noah and his family. That's and, he, nice. and he says, be fruitful and multiply. So this is just like in Genesis 1 mm -hmm, with the mm -hmm. atoms. And it's like he blesses them. He says, be fruity and multiply. Mm -hmm. At the end of that in, <laughs> okay. in Genesis 1, he's like, okay, and you can eat all the plants. This time you get to eat animals too oh until this moment bonus. is it oh i'm sorry i don't eat animals so <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> i don't know maybe okay, God i is will fair. be fair. i will say you know, kind of bonus but. okay bonus fine <laughs> cool. so maybe god smelled the sacrifice and he's like i want to let you in on this because yes this smells amazing and you yeah. should eat that makes sense to me <laughs> Because how awful would that be? It you like you're just like grilling up these steaks and you can't eat any of it, and it's kind of like, ugh, wah, wah. well, or I mean, maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're when, not getting any again. favor with the Lord, David. <laughs> 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 well, yep, there you go. There you go. You're not walking with God, are you? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not okay. yet. You know. Yep perambulating after, 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 right perambulate so this time he's like in addition to the plants you get to eat the animals okay mm -hmm. fine uh and then he's like also don't kill each other uh here's a poem about <laughs> yeah. don't murder other humans yeah, yeah i know only. we never we never got that one right did we <laughs> get it together on that one yeah so then god makes a covenant with noah and his sons and with every living thing yeah. so not just noah and noah's family but every living thing, uh, never again will I bring a flood to destroy the earth. And then he brings a sign. So before with uh, Cain, he gave Cain a sign so people wouldn't murder him because he was a murderer, basically, because <laughs> he committed fratricide. And, uh -huh. you know, yeah. so this time there's a sign and it's God's bow in the sky. And so people interpret that as a rainbow. And it's a sign to remind God 
mm-hmm. not to kill everybody with a flood. <laughs> <laughs> so God has to remember, right? Because yes. God is yeah. forgetful, as we've established. <laughs> and he had to make like a little note for himself. Yeah. Little rainbow colored poster right. for itself. And so here yes. too, it's like, okay, this is maybe the first time rain has existed in the mm. planet. Oh, yeah. Because remember in, in the Garden of Eden, it said there was no rain on the earth and the earth was watered by spouts from the ground. Ooh. And we haven't heard any mention of rain. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe maybe in this creation story or in this mythology, like what happens is after the flood, maybe God didn't quite patch up the Shemayim well enough. And so sometimes <laughs> it uh, rains. Uh, <laughs> and so then, so, and so wow. when it rains, what happens? There's a rainbow. And mm-hmm. so the rainbow reminds God not to let the, the thing completely break open again, mm-hmm. right? And all of the water come down. Well played. Well yeah. played. I like yeah. sense. Also, it's gay, clearly. Clearly, the rainbow has always been gay. (laughs) This is not just a construct of the past 40 years or so. This is time immemorial. Time immemorial. (laughs) So everything's good, right? Nothing bad's going to happen again. Mm. Sounds like it. Yep. Everything's great. (laughs) Everything is. There's a covenant. Happily happily ever ever after. after. Happily ever after. Indeed. Oh, that's not going to happen. This is the Bible. Everything's awful. It's rock, rock, cool, Hayom. Jeez, <laughs> there's some neat stuff that's cool and oh, it not is. Awful, but then, right? but then, but then it's immediately bad. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, there's more. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. I really didn't know. This part is the is so the, okay. Is the really so problematic in part. my okay. So, in my understanding of the Noah story, as a non-biblical scholar, uh, it's like God's like. Hey, I don't like how things are turning out here. So uh, I'm going to destroy everything with a flood. But Noah, you're cool for some reason. Uh, and then he makes the boat, saves, you know, two of each animal in the boat. You know, everything dries up. Noah comes out and God's like, good job. I promise to never destroy the world again with a flood. Here's a rainbow to help me remember. And as we said, happily ever after. So in my head, the story is over. So now I'm like, oh ho, I look forward to hearing all of this, mm. this end credit sequence that I never knew about. <laughs> the end cre- this, so. What do they call those little scenes in the end credits? The, oh, like yeah, when the, the yeah. end credit sequence. The end credits. Like oh, when okay. Spider-Man okay. comes yeah. out and looks at the camera and I is think, like, yeah, why are yeah, you still here? Yeah. yeah. Kind of like that. It is kind of yeah. like that because it's like you, the, the credits roll. You remember how right before this, there was the begats where it was like this pattern and it was like so-and-so lived 800 years and had sons and daughters and then he died. Yeah. Yeah, But there was this pattern. It's like so-and-so lived 800 years, had sons and daughters, then he died. Mm, Okay. So that was the pattern. And this whole story has started with that pattern with Noah, but it hasn't finished yet. So this is sort of like an entire insert into that pattern. I'm amazed. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, So this is starting to close this up now. And so then it it goes back to talk about uh, the sons of Noah. And the sons of Noah are Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, And Ham also has a son named Canaan. And then it says from from them, the whole world branched out, right? Because now they really are the Mm. only people left. (laughs) Mm. Uh, So from those those three sons, uh, the whole world branched out. And then it says that Noah was a man of the earth, uh, so maybe a farmer, like Cain, right? Uh, And he planted the first vineyard 
Yay. Ooh, thanks, Yay. Noah. Thanks, Noah. Yeah. yeah. But then <laughs> Noah got drunk uh, on the wine, and then it says he uncovered himself in his tent. So, okay, maybe he got okay. naked or whatever in his tent. And then, so Ham, the father of Canaan, Mm-hmm. saw the nakedness of his father and it's mm-hmm. the first time we've seen this naked word since eden when they're mm-hmm. naked in the garden or whatever mm-hmm. um and he tells his brothers about it mm-hmm. and the brothers go in backwards so they don't see his nakedness and they cover him up and when noah wakes up from his wine he learns what his youngest son has done to him mm-hmm. which uh doesn't seem to make sense <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and then he has this poem cursing Canaan, who is Ham's son, so that mm-hmm. Ham is the son that quote unquote saw him naked, uh-huh. and Canaan is his son, is Ham's son, and he says that Canaan is going to be a slave to all of his brothers oh. because of what Ham has quote unquote done to him. There is so much about this, yeah. just just in the text, not even getting yet to how this has been used, particularly in America. And, you know, the, the construction of American slavery and white supremacy, which we should definitely probably talk about a little. Yes. Um, but just to start in what's going on in the text, this is, this is a rough passage, mm. uh, to say the least. Your question, you know, you, you mentioned, which a lot of people mention when they read this, is like, I don't get what the big deal is. Yeah. I mean, that was my response sitting here listening to it right now. And I, you know, I, I feel like... I'm sure people saw their parents naked all the time back then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People see their parents naked all the time now. Like, but many people interpret this to be a euphemism for some sort of sexual transgression. Like, uh, many people interpret it to be that he raped his father. You know, and that oh, interpretation what? goes back to medieval commentators and even before that to to rabbis of antiquity. There, there are those who interpret this in that way. Oh, and one of the reasons for that is because to look upon somebody naked is a um, is a, a euphemism that's used elsewhere in the Bible, like in Leviticus, when it lists a bunch of types of incest that you're not supposed to do. Oh, okay. It's like, don't look upon, you can't look upon the nakedness of your mother, you can't look upon the nakedness of so-and-so and so-and-so. Um, okay, okay. And what that means is don't commit incest with these members of your family. That is what it has been interpreted as in a translation or like that is... That is like very clear in the text in Leviticus that that is what that is saying. Oh, okay. So remember how before we were talking about how, you know, there's always euphemisms in language for things around sex, like not even vulgarly. We say like, oh, I slept with that person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So... This is here. This is an, this is an instance where that's happening, where they're saying to look upon. It it it's not clear if it is here, but it is using exactly the same idiom that is used in Leviticus, Leviticus. for acts of incest. Got it. I don't know, David. Do you have thoughts about this? Yeah. So what's clear is that Noah has been violated in some way. Yeah. Uh, so the very fact that it is so cloaked in mystery, that begs some questions. And Alter talks about this in the Art of Biblical Narrative. It's funny, we kind of talked about this in our conversation about memes earlier, right? That part of what 
part of what makes a meme is like an assumed familiarity with a kind of original text. The, the example that Alter uses is he says, think about cowboy stories, right? Like, like you know, Westerns, you know, think about that as a genre. If you then fast forward to a show like Westworld, right? And I hope I'm not getting too in the weeds here, but- No, so, no, I, I'm totally with it. Okay, so, mm -hmm. so as Americans, somewhere in our imaginative DNA is these um, cowboy stories. And in the cowboy stories, the good guys wear what? White. White, right? And the bad guys wear- Black. Right. White hats and black hats, cowboy hats, mean something to us because of this Western genre, mm -hmm. right? Then you go to a place like Westworld, and the fact that like early on in the series, one of the characters, when they show up in this like Western-themed amusement park, has a choice between a black hat and a white hat and makes the decision to wear whatever hat he's going to wear the reason why that means something to us is because we are familiar with and have been trained in and have an imaginative uh, vocabulary for what black hats and white hats mean. Right? Absolutely. And mm -hmm. so if he chooses a black hat, then we're like, oh, Wah, wah, like we know where what he's got going on, mm -hmm. right? And if he chooses, likewise, if he chooses the white hat. So what Alter says is part of the difficulty of interpretation here is that we may not have, often perhaps do not have, that imaginative vocabulary that these writers had. You know? We don't have the memes. Mm -hmm. We don't have the memes, right? Yeah. So we don't, so we don't it have the could memes. have been this, this then, this incident is shrouded in mystery for us. Yeah. Much like, you know, aliens would come and unearth, uh, you know, a copy of Westworld and be like, oh, and have well, no idea who cares? why this, right. Why, why, why is that is this part even with the white hat and the black right. hat? Like, like this, like, this book is stupid. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this is poorly right. written. It was just, you know. <laughs> exactly. Right. But it's yeah. like, oh, if we had access to that, he references the Zeus Kronos uh, story where the son castrates the father or alternately, uh, oh, yeah. you know, sexually penetrates him. There's another rabbinical uh, interpretation that interprets as castrating him, mm -hmm. as castrating Noah, maybe coming from that tradition. I think, I think we're missing a lot of the, um, of the shorthand and of the assumed shared language culture or, or memes for, for lack right. of a better word. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. just structure, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, sim, sim, context, symbolism. So we don't know what happened, but you're right. It is clear that there was a serious violation happening mm -hmm. here. And I think it was probably something that's interpreted as sexual simply mm -hmm. because the phrase nakedness is used. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we can agree on that. So it, I, maybe we don't need to even put modern words like castration or mm -hmm. rape, sexual assault, anything like that on mm -hmm. it, because it's clear that this was a, a boundary transgression that was not okay. Right. Mm -hmm you know, a personal boundary transgression. Whereas as before, it was this human divine boundary transgression here. It's like a, an intimate father-son boundary transgression. Not okay. And then what we get is enslavement. Mm. And Noah is doing the curse here too. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I think that somebody besides God has done a curse. Yeah. And so Noah curses his grandson because of his son and dooms him and uh, assuming his his offspring to be to be slaves in the story 
And then it says, you know, the, and these became the Canaanites, mm -hmm. um, and which is so complicated because Canaan is the promised land. And so, you know, you could say like the, the authors are, are sort of making excuses for the way they've treated the Canaanites um you know like retroactively being like well mm. they deserved it because here you could say that yeah if you care about history <laughs> um which it's it's really complicated because we know so little about what what happened quote unquote historically back then a lot of historians now actually think that that who ended up calling themselves the Israelites were actually Canaanites and they were just a subsection of Canaanites and so whatever you have to think about who's writing this and what they also might have an intention of. There's so much, you know, this is the origin of the curse of ham. We should talk about the curse of ham. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. Well, so back in, in the day, um, the curse of ham was used to justify slavery, American slavery. And so the theory went that somehow Ham, like, so, so Noah, you know, people retroactively read back into the story racial uh, tropes. And so uh. Ham became like the black son, right? And which there's, as we are reading this, no justification for that. It has, there's, I don't even know how they would, like, it's very, very tendentious, like, that you would, you're just slapping that on top of it. It never says right. anything. I was going to remotely close to that. So, right. Um, Catherine Breckis came to give a talk at King's Chapel as part of our um, exploration of our history with slavery. And um, she talked about this, you know, about this episode in the Bible and how it was used to justify uh, slavery, you know, and give it this patina of legitimacy. But what's interesting to me is that notwithstanding the fact that none of these characters are figured racially in this story, what you do have, especially with the Canaan connection and the, and the connection with the Canaanites, is already you've got writers kind of writing back in this history of Canaan and the Canaanites, right? Kind of justifying a present day mindset via writing the, the kind of sort of mythological history of these people. Looking at how this story was used to justify slavery in the U.S., um, then also looking at the parallel of how this story, even for the contemporary writers, the writers at the time, I mean, to justify their view of Canaan, right? And the adversarial relationship between the Canaanites and the Israelites. And it's, it is connected with this kind of sexual transgression, right? And so later, that would be a trope you know, between the Israelites and the Canaanites, right? That like, that it would be a thing that, oh, uh, Canaanites are lascivious, you know, mm -hmm. oh, which yeah. is much the same, you know, kind of trope that you would find in the US, right? Like yeah. part of the reason, you know, of, uh, you know, African-Americans as lascivious, right? As there, there's this sort of like, just beneath the surface, there's this unbridled, you know, sexuality. It's based on that presumption that you have then these lynchings and the you write the policing of the black gays and you know all of this business about you know white feminine purity being at the mercy and the effort is to prevent the despoilation right of this mm -hmm, white mm -hmm. feminine purity by uh, a lascivious black maleness right 
this story is put to terribly tragic uses by antebellum U.S. in some of the same ways that it's put to use by the the writers themselves Mm. to then justify their views of the Canaanites. I mean, and but this is one of the things that that I am interested in and hoping to remind people of is these stories. They have these these cascading echoes throughout Mm. the millennia, regardless if you know them or not i mean mm-hmm. and and it's not always bad i mean sometimes it's very good too mm-hmm. you know but but this is a an example of half the people who maybe have you know half of the white people in america in the past 200 400 years mm-hmm. who have these stereotypes about black people might not even know this story mm-hmm. <laughs> you know they mm-hmm. probably don't right. and yet and yet it's sewed into the culture somehow. These stories are kind of, they're like a scaffolding. You know, you have the scaffolding and you build the building. Well, then eventually you take the scaffolding down, but the building or the structure is still there, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And the structure then, you know, the structure itself gets embellished and, you know, built upon and, Mm -hmm. you know. um, It holds the shape of the scaffold. Precisely right. Because this goes back to the whole dove conversation, right? It's like, oh, the curse of ham. And it's something that we just kind of say and assume and we're alluding to this story But unless you go back and read the story itself, because you've been looking at the structure for so long, unless you go back and look at what that original scaffolding was like, you might not have any idea that actually the stuff that people say is in the story is not actually in the story. And then to return to the text and return to this voiceless Noah, right? This Noah who said nothing over the course of this entire story. (laughs) And then he curses somebody. And then he curses somebody. And I struggled with that. Like, geez, like these are your first words to, to curse Canaan, you know? But as you alluded to, Jade, this is the first time that somebody other than God is doing the cursing. There is something there as well. If the question is, who is this Noah? I think this Noah is you know, kind of an enigmatic figure, but surely there's something to the fact that he's been silent till now. Now he finally speaks and it's to accrue to humanity, the role of cursing and blessing. So that, that's something that I kind of think, Oh, what is that about? You know, especially as we think of, the way that lines are blurred, you know, between the human and the divine, the consequences that ensue from that. What then is this blurring of the lines going to result in, you know? Yeah. And after all this happens, then we go back into that Toledote pattern, into that begat pattern. And it says, and after this, Noah lived a total of 950 years, and then he died. So this whole Noah story was like in this larger um, (laughs) begat pattern. And I just love that from like Mm -hmm. a a, a structural point of view. I think that's Mm -hmm. fantastic. So now there's rain, there's God, uh, God saying that he won't destroy the earth again, even though we're evil. 
Um, we can eat animals now, which some people are happy about. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a do-over with the whole creation thing. Um, but then there's enslavements and mm. cursing and um, that sucks. So the first creation story ended in like this separation from the earth mm -hmm. and in, uh, in binary gender roles. And then this one ends in cursing and, uh, and enslavement and enslavement. And um, was this really a good idea, God? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How's this whole human thing working How's this out? Working for you? out? Um, Sue, do you want to do a really, really short recap of what you've absorbed from the the whole Noah story? So I was actually going to say that it, the fact that this is kind of within that begat framework kind of made me think of. Has anybody ever had a dream where they like, it's a really detailed dream and they feel like they live like a lifetime in the dream and then they wake up and they're back in their world? Like Captain Picard in the inner like light? Like the inner light, thank you. <laughs> yeah, like he yeah. lives an entire lifetime. Oh, I but I so thought much. of that. <laughs> I, and I, I had yeah. that feeling of like this massive tale of like, oh, that we all know about the flood from part one. Uh, so it's like, oh, great, land, got it. Let's get it. God says it's cool to get out. Let's get out. Um, and then, you know, Noah does his thing and then God's like, yeah, you're cool. Thanks for the offering. Smells great. Uh, and you have rain now. And this little rainbow post-it note I put on the world will remind me to never destroy the world with a flood again. I just love that. I feel like that's always a caveat. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, life goes on, things happen. And then uh, as I'm going to crassly refer to it, the Noah incident, it just seems so like uh, very alarming and like upsetting and like out of nowhere of like this this it seems like fun like okay the, the flood is really upsetting and all that's really bad but then like we just had such a conversation about like that and noah um feeling uh, violated and then cursing you know a whole branch of humanity and civilization after that and being the first human to curse and his first words are a curse and like then that wraps it up and it's like okay then he lived and then he died like you know it, it you know it uh bookend to that i'm i don't know it just really strikes me as just being like wow that was really mean why did it have to be so mean bible mm. okay uh david do you have any final very short thoughts Oh gosh, my thoughts are so rarely short. I think no, I think that's uh I said it all, obviously. Yeah. You, uh, really, thank you, Sue. <laughs> thank you. That is lovely. Yeah. Sue said it all. Yeah. Thank you. It's in the book. It's in the book. Next time on It's in the Book, The Tower of Babel. Hi everyone, Jay here. In proper non-binary fashion, my name is still buffering, but thank you again from the bottom of my queer little heart for listening to this nerdy podcast. This episode touched on some challenging topics, but I'm really happy with how it came out. Thanks, of course, to my co-hosts, David and Sue, and to everyone who has rated and reviewed and shared It's in the Book. Since this is an independent endeavor, these shares and reviews are vital to the survival of the show. And we've been really heartened by the responses so far. I'm trying to get better at social media, so if you want to see my life, 
follow me at Jade Sylvan, again, J-A-D-E-S-Y-L-V-A-N. Haven't changed that yet. That's on Instagram and Twitter. Finally, I have started a modest Patreon to help sustain both It's in the Book and my other project, Beloved King, a queer Bible musical. Please consider supporting if you are moved and able. That's patreon.com slash jadesylvan, J-A-D-E-S-Y-L-V-A-N. We'll see you on February 10th with the Tower of Babel. Till then, keep an eye out for the rainbows.